The thing that's always been really hard for me is I can do a lot of things. I can put a lot of things out there. And I saw Scott Belsky speak. He used to run 99U. And he said that I was all proud. I'm an ideator and an implementer. And he said, the thing about that is your business won't scale. And it just really struck me because it's like, wow, Cynthia Morris, she's all over the place. She's always making stuff. She's always putting stuff out there. It's kind of like, I can't keep up. Just what what are you doing, Morris? I pulled myself out of bed this morning at 5.30 and went downstairs, anxiously awaiting my first cup of coffee. I put the water in the kettle, fired up the burner, and prepped my AeroPress. Now at this point, I realized the dishwasher needed to be emptied. Now, I am not the kind of woman who does household chores unprovoked. In fact, some serious provoking is usually what it takes for me to do things like fold the laundry, sweep the floor, or return the accumulation of water glasses on my desk to the kitchen. Now, I'm not proud of this. It's just the truth. But I've been working on it because I value my marriage. So I told myself I was willing to empty the dishwasher and... I did it. Now, thank you. Thank you. Hold the applause to the end, please. I am willing. That's a personal mantra I've been working on over the last six months or so. I learned it from a book with a questionable title by a coach named Gary John Bishop. Truthfully, I haven't gotten past the first chapter of that book because I am willing was enough of a mind bender to work on for quite a while. Reminding myself that I'm willing has had a dramatic impact on my business too. You're listening to What Works, the show that transcends the hype to bring you candid conversations about what's really working to run and grow a small business today. I'm your host, Tara McMullen. During a sales campaign that I wish was over already, I remind myself that I'm willing to show up to answer questions and to find every last person who is ready to buy. During a conference that has my social anxiety peaking, I remind myself that I'm willing to meet new people and nurture old relationships. While I empty out my inbox, I remind myself that I'm willing to take a few extra minutes and reply to emails that have been waiting for me. It's these small activities and often the moments of small C courage that Charlie Gilkey talked about in episode 241 that really add up at the end of the day. Just like proactively emptying the dishwasher or folding my laundry really adds up in my marriage. When you're looking at something like your business or your marriage that ideally is going to last for 10 years, 20 years, 30 years or longer, it's easy to think about the big moments and forget all about the small things you are willing to do along the way. But my guest today hasn't forgotten about the small things that have made her business stand the test of time. Cynthia Morris is the founder of Original Impulse. She coaches writers, artists, and entrepreneurs to get out of their own way so they can finish projects that matter. She's also the author of The Busy Woman's Guide to Writing a World-Changing Book. Cynthia and I talk about her 20-year journey of business ownership, creative exploration, and coaching. I ask her about the lessons she's learned along the way and how she's kept the business going for over two decades. Pay close attention to the commitment she made to taking risks and the willingness to do the hard creative work she asks her clients to do. Now, let's find out what works for Cynthia Morris. Cynthia Morris, welcome to What Works. Thank you so much for joining me today. Thanks for having me, Tara. 
Absolutely. Okay. So I'd like to start this conversation off with one of my old standby questions. You've been at this small business thing now for over 20 years. And I'm sure you've learned some things in this time. And maybe some of those things were unexpected, or maybe they even flipped some things you thought you knew on their head. So what's something you thought you knew about your business, but later learned wasn't true? That's such a good question. Because um, when I think about this answer, it's not something I learned about my business, but what I learned about business in general and following other people's advice you know, there's that model for online business that's a funnel model that if you have the free offer and then the low price offer and then people will continually ratchet up to the higher um, cost offer. Mm -hmm. That absolutely does not work for my business. And it took way, 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 way too long to figure that out before I realized that's not my model at all. When I look at the people who hire me for the one-on-one -on -one coaching, they are not reading my newsletter. They were not reading my blog. They were not joining any class. They were just coming straight to me for coaching. And most of the people over all these 20 years, most of the people who hire me one-on-one -on -one coaching, they are hiring me to help them write a book. So that was a huge wake-up call that I was kind of dutifully following this model that wasn't actually true for my business. When, when or how did you make the decision to stop trying to force people into that funnel? Well, it's been, it's been a process and I'm still kind of grappling with it because one of the things is that it's kind of like there's this kind of person and then there's this kind of person and one is taking classes and I love them and I love the classes and then one is signing up for one-on-one. -on -one. And I don't know what the distinguishing factor is. I mean, it's easy to think it's price that some people don't want to invest that much. Mm -hmm. But I also think that there are a lot of people in my classes who just really like the community. Mm -hmm. and, and that's a big part of why they're doing it. So the thing I'm grappling with is I'm kind of serving two different audiences in a way. There's a similar drive to write or be creatively actualized but they, the way they, they want to get help is different. It's very different. So that's still something I'm, I'm trying to sort out. Can I continue serving both types of people or do I just focus in on one? Got it. So we've already kind of broached this bigger subject um, a little bit with this, you know, kind of changing this assumption or changing this belief around sales funnels and that whole system. Um, but I'm sure that there are some other things over the course of your business that you have changed that maybe uh, things came to a head or maybe you just started to feel really uncomfortable with how things were going, with the way things were operating, with maybe the kind of the direction that you were headed in. So can you tell me about a time when you knew something in your business had to change? Yes, that was early days. I was about three years into coaching and I wanted to write a book because that's what people say. You should write a book. And as a writer's coach and a writer, I wanted to write a book. And, and I really didn't think I could. I didn't think I had the material because coaching, the coaching that I'm trained in, the coactive coaching model is really based on um, good questions, really asking good questions, the appreciative inquiry and responding to the client. I'm like, well, how do I write a book based on that? 
And it took me some time before I realized that what I could do was look at the patterns that I was seeing over all of the different people that I was coaching and the people showing up in the workshops, and then look at the the way I was responding to their challenges. So what I did was I got out all of my coaching notes because I've always taken notes during my calls. And that was a gold mine of information, both like what they, what they said, how they said it, the problems that they were facing. And then the homework that I assigned were my solutions. So what I did was I crafted those things into my first book, which is called create your writer's life. And I used a coaching model for the book. It wasn't like here's what you have to do. And here's how you have to write. You have to write every day and you have to write this many hours and you have to do it in the morning. It was really based on what my coaching practice is still based on, which is helping people figure out what works for them. I can suggest some things and I can have them experiment with things, but the only way something's going to work is if it works for them. So that, that was a huge shift for me to realize like, I really thought I didn't have material to write a book and once I flipped it to being more of an investigator and a pattern seeker, then I was able to write that book and many other books after that. Mm. How did that process of kind of unearthing those patterns and going through those notes, how did that, how did that feel for you? Oh, it was so much fun because I kind of, it's weird. I like being right about things. I try to you know, not go around being wrong all the time, but at the same time, I also welcome being wrong. So um, being, it's part of that aha of learning like, oh, wow, I had no idea. So for instance, here's a fun example. Um, I would say, what's important to you about writing? Why must you write? And so many people said the same thing. And they said this, they said, I really need to express myself. I really need, it's really about expression. And I'd be like, yeah, yeah. Okay. I've, I've heard that before. Like, yeah. Yeah. Everybody says that. <laughs> and then one day I was like, oh my God, everybody says that this is a vital need. This is huge. This is not just some self, you know, like egotistical thing. Like, oh, I just want to express myself. This is, this belongs on Maslow's hierarchy of needs that People want and need to express themselves, or at least my people, the people I connect with. So just learning that kind of thing, that really helped me to both be, um, I don't want to say expert, but both be somebody who was like, okay, I see these patterns and also somebody who is learning from the patterns. So kind of having an antenna up for looking for the things that people say over and over helped me feel like I was fresh with the material and learning. So I liked that. It was almost like writing a book helped me be a student of the thing that I've been studying for a long time. Yeah. Well, I can, I can imagine that that ha probably had a pretty big influence then on how you saw your business going forward. Like if, cause you know, I love that idea of becoming a student of the work that you were actually doing for other people. Um, that's going to give you a new perspective on how you can serve those other people, what those offers might look like, what the marketing might look like, what the kind of relationships that you're building might look like. How did the business itself kind of shift or evolve after you released that first book? Well, I felt a lot more authoritative or powerful. I felt like I have a book I've put something in here that's going to help more people. 
And that gave me a lot more confidence. So this was still, so I published the e, that ebook in 2003. And so that was just a few, four years after I started coaching. So that gave me some confidence to kind of do more speaking engagements and have something to sell at the back of the room. And when people would say that the book was really helpful, I loved that. It also just helped me to have confidence to write more books. And if several people said, how do you do that? I want to know how you do that. Then I would think, well, I'm going to save some spit and put this into a book. <laughs> and so um, I did that with, I wrote a book about leading tours. I started leading tours in France and so many people contacted me and said, how do you do that? I want to know how you do that. And I would tell them and, and that would be a long conversation. And then I'm like, I keep saying the same thing. So I'll write that down. So having just, and I would love for, for everybody to kind of be able to flip this switch on where they see like, oh, I keep saying the same thing or I'm seeing patterns. Let me write that down and put that into a way that, into a form that more people can consume and that I can even monetize. Mm. So what I'm hearing from you, which I think I already know this about you, but but what I'm definitely hearing as a pattern, um, even so far in this brief conversation, is that when things start feeling hard or when th- when you start to notice that something needs to change, you really see it as an opportunity where I think a lot of other people might see it as a big problem that they need to fix. Um, And since we're talking about resilience this month, I'm curious if you've always had that kind of opportunity mindset when it comes to challenges, or if there have been times or a time in your business where something felt way more like an obstacle than an opportunity. Well, that's, that's a great question. I think lots of times things feel like an obstacle and lots of times I am the obstacle. So in terms of how did I, how am I the person who sees opportunity? I think it's, it's two things. I'm just a very creative person. I like to make things. I like to do a lot of different things. So when you have your own business, you can do that. So that's really, it can be a real plus. It can be a real minus over 20 years. You can imagine how many different workshops I've taught or different things I've done that have kind of, it's like an octopus. They, they have these tentacles that seem like they're related to the main business, but they're not that much. And so the, the brand, the energy can get kind of diffuse and cloudy. Um, So that's kind of the downside of that. But the other thing is in terms of when things get hard, I made a commitment early on that I would never ask anyone to do, any client or student to do anything that I wasn't willing to do myself. And that I was going to keep creating and making things and working on my own creative work alongside them. I don't ever really want to be the person who's sitting on the sidelines saying, oh yeah, back back in the day when I was taking risks and no, you go ahead and take risks. Like even to this day, I'm taking risks that are scary. So I embrace that that challenge. Um, and partly the thing I like to say and like to believe is that the things we make, make us. So all of the obstacles that come up, the difficulties that, are, that come up when we go to make something or do something in our business are probably the same story that we are telling in other areas of our life. I'm not good enough. I'm not smart enough. Other people are better than me, whatever our stories are. So working through those things by making things or building a business 
is to me one of the best ways to grow as a person. Of course, we can go to therapy, but doing, learning and growing through doing and making, that's, that's my jam. I love that. You'll hear about what happened to Cynthia's business when she jetted off to France in just a minute. But first, a word from our What Works partners. What Works is brought to you by Mighty Networks. Look, both content marketing and social media marketing are changing. People are becoming more and more careful with the way they spend their time online. They're craving more genuine connection with the right people more than they are looking to connect with the whole wide world. They're also becoming a lot more careful with the information they're consuming online, and they're slower to give out their email addresses, and they're wary of your sales funnels. But changing trends in online behavior don't have to spell disaster for your online business, nor does it mean it's impossible to get a new business off the ground today. Today, more than ever, people are searching out trusted sources for connection, information, inspiration, and ideas. They might be wary of billion-dollar corporations banking on algorithms, but they're excited about the people and brands who are making a genuine effort to understand their problems and create innovative solutions. And that's, well, that's where you come in. And it's also where Mighty Networks comes in. Mighty Networks helps you connect with your audience like you've never been able to before. Start conversations, answer questions, share articles, build online courses, create private or premium groups. Mighty Networks puts you in control of creating the ultimate social, educational, or support network for your right people. Here at What Works, Mighty Network has helped us unlock our chance to connect 10,000 small business owners and level the playing field for success as an entrepreneur today. To find out more about what you can build with Mighty Networks, give it a try for free. Go to MightyNetworks.com. That's MightyNetworks.com. Now, as a What Works listener, I know some things about you. I know you value my nosy questions about how small business owners actually manage their people, work through mental blocks, decide on prices, or market their services. I know you trust yourself to make great decisions about how you run your business as long as you have solid information to go on. I know you value input from people from different industries, different business models, and different backgrounds as you lead your business and work toward your goals. And I also know that you don't go in for the hype about the latest business fad. You're committed to building a solid foundation and sticking with what works for you. Now, all of that is great, truly, but it doesn't mean you don't run into challenges from time to time. It doesn't mean you don't want support from people working on similar projects and answering similar questions. And the more your business has grown, well, the fewer people there are to talk to. And that's where Venture comes in. The Venture Mastermind is a 12-month peer support group for growth and scale stage business owners. We gather to address your specific challenges, things like hiring, scaling your outreach, reworking procedures, developing a new revenue stream, or managing your team. And for every challenge we address, we inevitably take a look at the mindset, assumptions, or biases we bring to the table. So we're getting to the root of the problem and not just putting a Band-Aid on it. Venture includes two monthly mastermind sessions through all of 2020, one retreat to Palm Springs and Joshua Tree National Park, one retreat to Gatlinburg, Tennessee and Great Smoky Mountains National Park, and two analysis calls one-on-one with me to integrate what you're working on and identify what you want to work on next. 
To learn more about venture and whether it's a perfect fit for you as you grow your business in 2020, go to explorewhatworks.com slash venture. That's explorewhatworks.com slash venture. Um, you mentioned, well, uh, you know, in talking about some of the changes that you've made in your business, that at one point you started leading tours in France. And I know that like being in France was a, a growth opportunity for your business. And then coming back from France, it was also a challenge <laughs> that, you know, that, that kind of losing that or moving past that in terms of your brand was a challenge for you. Can you tell us about that time and how you, how you made the decision to, you know, to take on this extra opportunity to, to lead tours in France, but then also what coming home was like and reinventing the business after that? Yeah. Well, it's one of those things that's really fun to look back on because you see the patterns and you see how it was all, this beautiful alignment when at the time I wasn't strategizing or thinking I did um, a leadership training program in 2004. It was a year long, the coactive um, leadership training. And the whole premise of that training is how do you lead with other people and, and build things with other people. So we had assignments and projects to do over the course of the year. And at one point I thought, why don't I lead this creativity workshop in France? There was this book, Sarah Mitta's South of France, that was this beautifully illustrated book that really inspired me. I thought, what if I did it? It's not a tour, it's more of a workshop. And we use the notebook as a way to gather um, inspiration and information and, and be creative. And so my friend Gija and I did that. We did a workshop in Provence um, called Journey of the Senses. And I don't like, by some miracle, it was successful right away. We made money. I did another one. Um, I did two that year. And then I just kept doing them. Um, so that was right. That was along that time I was writing my novel, which was a historical novel set in Paris. So here's the the beautiful design. I led these workshops. It was like leadership boot camp. It was so. It was not easy. <laughs> it was. It's not easy to um, be in the field with ten people leading them and all of that stuff. But I took it as my leadership boot camp. I'm like, here's me growing as a leader. Here's where I'm learning how in real time, how to be a better leader. And then while I was in France, I would do research for my book. So I got paid to lead the workshops, but also it, it was an opportunity for me to go to France every year and do research for the novel, which I needed to do because I needed <laughs> to be there eating all those pastries and drink, drinking all that rosé. Um, so in terms of coming back, it, you know, the thing that I think was challenging for the business is Paris became really yeah. embedded in my brand and, um, it, it, all of that, it, when I say all that, you'd be like Paris historical novel workshops in Paris, duh, of course, Morris, that's, that's what's going to happen. But which was fine until it became like, people are asking me about, what hotel to stay in and where should they go? And I'm like, you know, that's, I'm not really a tour guide. It's not about the travel. It's the, it's only one part of the create the equation is travel plus creativity yeah. plus coaching equals personal growth. So, um, 
so I faced that. I dealt with that obstacle by writing an ebook about it. <laughs> a couple of years ago, I published an ebook called Visit Paris Like an Artist. And I was like, okay, I'm just going to put everything I know and love about Paris into this one place where people can access that. And then if anybody says, you know, I need some tourism information, I can say, well, here's something I wrote. It's got all my favorite resources. And um, it's, you know, I tried to make it unique to me and that it wasn't just a Paris guide, but a way to see and experience Paris or any place in a creative way. Cool. Um, I know how challenging it can be when I love the phrase that you used, Paris became embedded in my brand. I know what that's like, like to have that thing that becomes embedded, that becomes integrated in your brand without you even realizing that it was happening until it's quote unquote too late. How long did it take you to, to feel like your brand had moved past that, um, that symbol that had become part of it? It, it hasn't. Okay. It's not totally not. I don't think it has. Um, I had some headshots taken yesterday and I, I said, let's go to this great place in the Botanic Gardens and took a photo in this location. And um, my husband's like, that look, that could be in Paris. That looks so like Paris. I'm like, okay. So, um, and then I'm going to be leading a, a writing workshop in Paris next year. So I just can't get away from it. But Here's the cool thing about um, writing that ebook, Visit Paris Like an Artist. I, I feel like if you finish a project, if you write a book and complete it, you will learn something. There's some boon or gift waiting for you at the end. And the gift that I got from that, that ebook was to really realize how much France and Paris is a part of who I am, both creatively, as a person. Um, it, it's really in me. And it's, you know, I started studying French because my mother's family is from France and my mother's, my mother's mother was punished for speaking French in school in Louisiana. So I'm kind of carrying the torch with the French connection in that way. So it's, it's really a big part of who I am. And I think Paris in particular, as I'm thinking about this workshop I'm teaching, it is a symbol of creativity. It is a symbol and a place where people do feel more creative. So while I thought, oh, I'm going to try to get away from that, I, I don't think I can. And I don't know that it's such a terrible thing. Right. Well, it sounds like you've almost like transmuted it into something that you can use now, whereas you realized it had kind of gotten there by accident and you were it was representing you in a way that wasn't super helpful, that was giving people the wrong impression about what kind of questions to ask you. Um, but now that you've had time to process it and move through it and um, use it more intentionally, now you see it as something that you can still, yeah, that you can put to use. Yeah. And, and own, I, you know, for a long time, I was just kind of ashamed or embarrassed to to be in love with such a cliche, like, Oh God, Paris, like Eiffel tower and stuff everywhere, you know? And, and then it was like, this place formed you. This place is really had a lot to contribute to you. There's nothing to be ashamed of there. Just own it. So yeah. it's, I just think, you know, as I'm talking to you, it's just kind of funny how now I like to think that I'm more strategic or I like to try to be, more strategic in terms of what I'm making and what I'm putting out there. But 
I think in some ways this you can, you and who you are is just going to be the flavor of the brand. If you're, you know, bringing something um, like a service-based business, or if you're bringing yourself into it, like you just can't escape yourself. So um, <laughs> why try? <laughs> Amen to that. Um, okay, let's, we've taken kind of a look at your brand. We've taken a look at um, some of these other things that have changed over the years. I want to look at how your business model has changed over the years, because there tends to be I think a lot of resilience needed as business models change and adapt, even though there are these kind of logistical things, these operational things, these money things. Moving through it, making changes in there can require a lot of mental strength too. So right now, you've basically got two ways to work with you. You've got one-on-one coaching, and then you've got your year-long atelier program. Um, First off, tell us about both of those things. And then second... How did you get to this point? I'm sure these weren't always the offers that you had. Um, How have you kind of evolved into this particular business model um, that you have now? Yeah, it's definitely an evolution. And just to go back to the octopus um, image, that the business has always been original impulse. That was uh, about a year in. That's what I called it. and then through, you know, that, that's a pretty big umbrella. You can do all kinds of things. So I've always taught writing workshops, always, there are always a coaching flavor. So I don't teach craft. I don't teach mm-hmm. you how to write, how to write a good story because there are plenty of people doing that. I'm looking more at like, how do you bring the courage? How do you get over the inner and outer obstacles? How do you make space in your life for this and own it? So, um, always was teaching writing workshops in person and online. In 2008, I took the business fully online. That was when I left Boulder and moved to Europe um, for a year and was nomadic. And so the, the, when you talk about the mental strength required, the thing that's always been really hard for me is I can do a lot of things. I can put a lot of things out there. I, I'm an ideator and an implementer and I can get an idea and make it happen. And I saw Scott Belsky speak. He used to run 99U and um, he said that it's, I was all proud. I'm an ideator and an implementer. And he said, the thing about that is your business won't scale. Mm-hmm. And it just really struck me because it's like, wow, Cynthia Morris, she's all over the place. She's always making stuff. She's always putting stuff out there. It's kind of like, like I can't keep up. Just what yeah. do you, what do you what are you doing, Morris? And I, this was when I had this big kind of bucket of water on the face realization about it. I I was with a client in person and she was introducing me to somebody and loved this client. She loved me. And she's like, oh, this is Cynthia Morris. And she's so great. She does all these workshops. She goes to France. She's really like, she's a traveler. And, she, and I said, you know what? I really would love you to introduce me is this is Cynthia Morris. And she helped me write my book because I did. So that was just a great realization that how do I want to be known? And so it's not as this person who's traveling all over and living some great life. I want to be known as a person who can help you get over yourself and get your writing done because that's what I love. And I love seeing how people change and grow when that happens. So that's when I started really just winnowing it down, really like took the art out of my brand. Um, I'm an artist and I also make art and I was selling art. And I was like, okay, that does not mm-hmm. belong in the business right now. So I really just want to be known as the person who mostly helps people write 
And maybe there's a few other people who come in for other things for my coaching, but that's my jam. And I also, um, so in this last year, I, I redid my website, really focusing on that. The one-on-one coaching, as I mentioned, it's mostly, it's um, high functioning, high powered executives who hire me because they just don't have time. They need the customized support. They're usually writing a book that's based on their work and they want to get their work out into the world. So those are my one-on-one clients. And then I have this year-long program called the Atelier, and I just love it. Atelier is a French um, word. It's a French concept for, it's a studio where people go and study with a master and they study um, painting or sculpture. And my atelier is the, the thing we're studying is you and what works for you to get your creative work done. So what we do is everybody chooses a project and this can be writing, this can be art, this could be any kind of project. I have people in there working on business writing, uh, personal writing, art projects. So that's what I, that's where I can work with people of all different kinds of projects and they have to stay with their project for the whole year. Oh wow! And in the course of a yeah, it's awesome because you know, bright, shiny object syndrome, like, Oh yeah. Just when it gets hard, I'm going to go do that new thing. Um, happens to me all the time. So I love helping them stay with it. And when they can overcome those places where they want to do a U-turn or hit the escape hatch, we work through that. And then they have that information for the next time. So over the course of the year, they really learn who they are and how they are in a project. And the other thing I love about that program is I am a participant too. I take on a project. So last year I took on writing a book. I wrote the busy woman's guide to writing a world changing book. And I share in the check-ins what my challenges are and how, um, you know, where I'm thriving, where I'm flailing. And this year, my project in the Atelier is publishing and promoting the book. And that's, they've been really watching the flailing and the difficulty. And it's like July. And I'm like, I don't really want to keep promoting this. I'd much rather be doing something (laughs) else. And, um, but I have to stay with it. I really am like, there's two other projects that I'm doing and I have to stay with it because, I demand that they stay with their project. So yeah. um, I love it. I love I love helping them. I love seeing them squirm. I love helping them pass the squirm. I love seeing me squirm and getting past the squirm. It just really, you know, those tight places in the creative process that are really difficult and really force us to do some soul searching and growing. I, I just love that. Can you walk us through how you coach yourself to stick with it when you don't want to anymore? Because I think that like promoting a book is such a great example, right? Like um, when I was talking to Charlie Gilkey about the same thing, he's talking about how book writing for him, that's a three-year process. Ideally, it's a year of writing the book. It's a year of editing and publishing the book. And hopefully it's a whole nother year of promoting the book after it. That's a long time to stick with one project, especially when, as you said, as creative people, we like chasing the next the next thing, the next shiny object, making, 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 making. It's, it's hard to stick with something. How when, when you are faced with one of those moments where you just don't want to do it anymore, how do you coach yourself through that? 
Uh, that's, yeah, it's such a great question. And, and it is hard because often it's hard to coach yourself. So um, a couple things, I think about the bigger picture, like, why am I doing this? I want more people to write books. I want more women to write books. I want more women to stake a claim for what they have to say and put it out in the world. That's my contribution to helping change the world right now. So getting out of myself and getting it not about me is helpful. Mm -hmm. um, and then making it about me in terms of, I invested a lot in this book. I think it's good. I put you know a year of time and then a lot of um, resources into publishing it. So I can't drop the ball. I can't just let it kind of, you know, oh, wait, okay, you're off on your own now. <laughs> it needs me. It needs legs. I, it needs me to give it legs. So, and then I know, um, so this book, because I'm really committed, the other ones, it's been easy to not stay with as long, but this one, it means a lot more to me and I think to the world. So back to this whole idea that the things we make, make us, and it's an opportunity for personal growth. So it's like, okay, what's required for getting this book out in the world, Morris? So you can do all the things that have been safe, which is like, oh, I'll just write some articles and put them out there and just kind of hide behind the screen. Or what's really required to make something succeed is connecting and reaching out and asking for help and really crafting a clear message. What is this about? Like deeply, what is this about? So all of those things are just really hard for me. It's not my forte. And it's also the thing I know I'm here to learn and grow in relationships and connecting. So I take it as take it that way as um, here's here's your personal growth opportunity. And this is your chance to get over some of those old stories. On a more micro level, how do I do how do I coach myself to do it? I I try to do the difficult things first. I've learned over and over and over again that the the feeling of like, oh, dread or drag, I call it drag, just like, oh, I don't want to do that. I see that on my to-do list. I don't want to do it. I'm just afraid. I feel small. All those, you know, kind of shadowy, dark side feelings. I know that once I do the thing, the way I'm going to feel on the other side is exponentially better brighter, more empowered, relieved, like I did it. And then the things that are going to happen as a result of that are way more than anything I could have imagined. So knowing that, knowing that what's on the other side of the difficult tasks is a way better feeling helps me to do those things sooner. I am really not a procrastinator because I'm just kind of a wimp. I can't stand the tension. I, you know, like a deadline, I'm like, I just got to get it in way before the deadline because I want to get over any of that tension, that creative tension or drag as soon as possible. I'd rather have the good feels. <laughs> That's a good, great way to look at that. Um, Cynthia, this has been such a good look into how you have moved through some of these changes and the ups and downs in your business. And I especially have loved you talking about sticking with things and how you help yourself move past uh, you know, those times when you want to give up. As we start to wrap up here, I'd love to just hear about what you're really excited about right now. What's kind of on the horizon that is making you excited about the next year in your business? 
So yeah, that's a great question. I am, I have a new podcast that you have helped me with. And, um, it's not an interview style podcast. It's a podcast to celebrate my 20 year anniversary of being a coach. And it's called stumbling toward genius. And I thought, Oh, this is great. I'll do 20 episodes. I'll talk about 20 things that we need as creative people to thrive. I'll pontificate from my perch of 20 years of being in the creative trenches. And then I was reading a book, The Art of Gathering, and she talked about how she brings people together and asks them to leave their expertise at the door and just tell a story that reveals their humanity. And I'm sitting on the couch reading this crying. I'm like, that's so good. That's so true. I, crap, I can't pontificate from the expert throne. I have to tell stories. So um, telling the stories of the things I've made and not how I've like, ta-da, like gotten over the finish line and aren't I triumphant, but how I've failed and stumbled and the challenges. So that has been a real creative growth edge to look at things from that lens and look at the lessons that I can pull out of that, that, that other people might benefit from. It's not just me telling my stories, but that these are actually of value to others. That's been a real, um, that's a real creative challenge that I've enjoyed and it's um, pretty exciting. And I owe a lot of thanks to you for helping me stay with that. Thank you. I, um, I am just so excited about this podcast as someone who has gotten sort of the behind the scenes look at how you're planning it, what's going into it, what you're going to be sharing. I am so excited for you. And I'm so excited for all the people who are going to be listening uh, to Stumbling Toward Genius. It's going to be amazing. And everyone should check it out. Cynthia Morris, thank you so much for sharing your journey with us over the last 20 years and how you have uh, evolved and changed and stuck with it when you needed to um, so that you could get to this wonderful place that you're at with your business now. Thanks, Tara. Thanks for having me. Find out more about Cynthia Morris at OriginalImpulse.com and check out her brand new podcast, Stumbling Toward Genius, wherever you listen to What Works. Growing your business in 2020 is going to be an adventure. And just because you're ready to blaze the trail doesn't mean you don't need an experienced team to support you. Our venture mastermind is gathering now. Venture focuses on the unique challenges of growth and scale stage business owners, things like hiring, managing your team, scaling your outreach, evolving your procedures, and developing deeper revenue streams. We also dig deep and address the mindset behind every challenge we encounter. If you're a growth or scale stage entrepreneur with big goals for 2020, I'd love for you to join us for two monthly small group mastermind sessions, one retreat to Palm Springs and Joshua Tree National Park, one retreat to Gatlinburg, Tennessee and Great Smoky Mountains National Park, and two one-on-one analysis calls with me to integrate what you're working on and plan for your next steps. To find out more and set up a free consultation with me about venture, go to explorewhatworks.com slash venture. That's explorewhatworks.com slash venture. What Works is produced by Yellow House Media. This episode was edited by Marty Seafell. Our theme music is by The Shrugs. Find over 240 more candid conversations about what's really working to run and grow a small business today at explorewhatworks.com.